What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dawson D Show. It's a pleasure to have you guys with us once again. And as we do every week, we can't thank you enough for for your support. For all those that are, are subscribed, thank you. For those that haven't, make sure you do. Click that subscribe button and, and you'll be notified for every new episode that comes out. Now, today's episode... Uh, we sat down with Alice Bleithman. Now, Alice is a qualified dietitian that works and lives in New South Wales, the sunny coastal town Cronulla, uh, which I've been to numerous times. It's a beautiful place of the world. She took the leap last year and moved up to, to Cronulla, which is also an exciting part of the story in the episode. Uh, we talk about you know, going after what you really want and experiencing new experiences, meeting new people, and, and she's done that. But what we really loved and, and dive deep into being a qualified dietitian that works you know pretty high up in the industry some of the key messages i got out of it included emotional eating and having a good relationship with food eating disorders i didn't really know much about eating disorders and to hear how many young women struggle with this uh, and what a serious issue it is but also how many different eating disorders there really are the effect gut health has on our overall well-being and our mental health. The effect gut health has on our mental health. I didn't really understand that either and something I really enjoyed learning. Alice was so open talking about her own personal mental health issues and struggles. From a young age, she said she suffered from anxiety. Um, and we also went into the topic of why taking antidepressants has this negative stigma around it being a week, a week out. Um, it was really intriguing to hear a dietitian, someone in the industry who is in wellness and health, why she believes in it and why she really thinks it can help so many that are suffering. And we had a great conversation about being a social media influencer, which she is, how it works, the monetization of it, you know, the, the actual nitty gritty into what it takes to be an influencer. But I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. We certainly did. Thank you once again and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. Okay, Dice, we're here again on Zoom. Are you excited? Very excited, mate. And like every episode, mate, there's always something to look forward to. There's some, some gems to come out of any interview episode that we, we have, and, and today we've got another one of those. Mate, absolutely. We've got so many points to cover off. Oh, you were doing a little intro this morning, so the listeners will get a bit of an idea of who Alice is, but we would like to welcome Alice now to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Like, like I mentioned before, the, what you're doing is incredible, and I'm so, so happy to support it. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully we can get a few few golden nuggets out of this conversation for sure. Absolutely. We spoke on the phone the other day and I was very excited. I texted Doss straight away and said, we've got a good one here. This is going to be <laughs> yeah. so oh, Let's start just briefly, Alice. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you currently are. And tell us about your background in terms of the background we're seeing. It's a beautiful, okay. sunny sky <laughs> and a beach behind you. Yeah. So I'm currently just in the park in Cronulla, which is just south of Sydney. Beautiful, beautiful town. I absolutely love it here. Been here for almost a year, but I grew up in Tassie. So it was amazing childhood. I, I mean, we can chat about that um, a little later on, but yeah, I was very blessed in that, you know, I grew up and, and had a pretty good kind of childhood in the traditional sense. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely loving where I'm living at the moment. Yeah. Like 
about me, I guess, how much you guys want to know about me. <laughs> I mean, how long you guys? <laughs> I guess just give us, all right, so you're originally from Tassie. Yeah. What, why yeah. are you in Canela? You know, like, tell us, okay. a bit, tell us a bit of this. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a timeline then. How about that? So I grew up in Tassie and went to school there and everything. And then when I finished year 12, I went on a, a gap year around Europe. So I was going to do medicine and I decided that I wanted to kind of take a year off. I'd been, you know, really, really busy up until that point And I needed a bit of just time to relax. And so typical me, I got, a, I got like a few jobs and, and just um, earned some money and then backpacked around Europe for four months, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and then I managed to score a bit of a scholarship to one of the universities in Melbourne for nutrition and dietetics. So I was like, oh, I'll take this. I was going to do medicine and I kind of decided against that while I was away. I realized that my passion was really nutrition rather than being a doctor. And so I moved to Melbourne to do my nutrition undergrad. And uh, yeah, that was incredible. It was a three-year degree. And then I managed to score a place into the Masters of Dietetics at the same university. And so I was there for another year and a half. And then thankfully, um, during, I guess, the latter part of my master's degree, I managed to score a job with Marika Day, who's a pretty well-known dietitian within sort of the gut health space. And I scored that just through essentially just volunteering and things and we just got along. So yeah, I managed to get a job before I finished my master's and then pretty much like the Friday I finished my master's, the Saturday morning, um, I went off to Cronulla because Marika lives in Cronulla and that was sort of like my sort of vibe in that, you know, it was pretty chill, coastal town and I was definitely, definitely ready for a change. And it was a pretty good move because it was just before the Melbourne lockdown, so <laughs> thankfully. Um, and that's pretty much how I ended up in Cronulla and that's why I'm in Cronulla right now, just hanging out in a park. Beautiful. Well, I was actually yeah. with a mutual friend, Jai Richardson, who loves a mention on this it, it gets a mention every week, Ella. Uh, yeah, no, nah, he deserves a mention. Lauren, <laughs> he, uh, he gave me some insight on you and he said a little bit about what you told him this weekend when you were in Melbourne about the lifestyle in Cronulla. So can you tell us a little bit about that, like the type of people you're surrounded by? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in Cronulla, like it's, uh, it's very chilled and there's a lot of people who really enjoy really active lives and that's something that I absolutely enjoy as well and so when I moved here it was quite shocking because I'd grew like you know I'd studied in Melbourne for five years and I was pretty much in the city and moving to Cronulla where people get up at 4 30 and go for ocean swims and runs and really really live an active life it was something that I was really really happy about but yeah everyone's really lovely here it's just like I don't know it's just a really chill vibe and I absolutely love it I mean, I get up quite early now and, and just yeah, get outside and so much happier here. Yeah. <laughs> so much happier. Yeah. What's the day, what's your ideal day look like right now? So in terms of work, maybe morning routine, um, yeah. being in a new town, I guess, like, I don't know how quickly you became friends with many people, but does that day involve catching up with people that are like-minded with yourself? What does, what does everything look like? Yeah, so it's a really good question because, I mean, every day is sort of different. But for me, like one of my values is, you know, being healthy. And so I really try and prioritize 
the first thing I do in the morning is just get outside, whatever that looks like. You know, even if it's raining, just chuck my rain jacket on and get outside and go for a bit of a walk. That's sort of like my meditation, I guess. And then I generally train. So at the moment I'm training for a triathlon. So I either get in the water or go for a run or go for a bike ride or I go to F45 as well. So I do that. And then sometimes, I mean, to be honest, five times out of seven um, days a week, I go for a morning walk before training with my mate, Jesse. So that's our 5.30 kind of training, I mean, walk. But I also sometimes go to the 5.30 club, which we were chatting about before off air. But essentially what it is, it's kind of like, we kind of get together at 5.30, all of us sort of people from different walks of life, from different careers and everything like that. And we, we hang out in a cafe and do our own sort of work and collaborate and have conversations. And that's sort of how I met a lot of the people I did in Cronulla. But now, you know, when kind of, I guess, with Jesse and Jesse's just one of my mates I met in Cronulla with our lifestyles, we, we sort of sit all day at the moment. So we figured, okay, well, let's just to a walking 5.30 club at the moment. So we're kind of walking instead of sitting down at 5.30 and then, yeah, then I kind of train and then I, I get home and have some brekkie and, and sort of start my day. Um, and that's pretty much seven days a week. Like I don't really, yeah, I don't really, I can't deviate from, from that at all. And I love it. Like it really sets me up. I, I love movement and getting outside. It's so good for my mental health. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such great advice for anyone that moves to a new area. Like, Mm. find like-minded people is to join those sorts of or create those sorts of clubs or yeah 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 it's it's really cool so your work at the moment are you flexible with work to make it work around your schedule of your day Mm. yeah it's really i'm really blessed in that sort of my work i work with I mean, I do a few things. So some days I work out of Marika's house. And so that can be a little bit flexible. Sometimes I can work from home. So I can say start at 7 a.m., finish at 3 and then go for a swim or something. Or I'm quite flexible in that. Um, with my clients, some days are like full-on days where I work like 8 to 6 and don't really have much an opportunity to get outside in the middle of the day. But other days, it's really flexible. Like I can work outside and, and go on my computer. Um, at the moment, we're sort of transitioning to more of online or largely online clients and so that gives me a bit more flexibility in that I can work from home which I absolutely love and then you know with for example my Instagram and content things like that's a lot of outdoor sort of stuff as well and and I can kind of change my schedule wherever I need so I mean that's um, one of my values as well is having sort of flexibility in the workplace because that's really important for my mental and physical health so yeah, I'm very, very blessed and I understand that I'm very blessed in that in that sense, but it's something that I really try hard to to prioritize to have kind of flexible flexible working arrangements. What are some of your clientele, Alice? Can you give us a bit of an idea? Yeah. You know, your ideal day to day when it comes to clients. You know, is it, is the age bracket quite broad? Is it sports related or athletes? Mm. Is everyday humans like Dean myself, like what what is what does your clientele look like when it comes to dietetics? Yeah, so I work sort of like, I mean, I can I can see really anybody and I can see kind of the general population, but I really, really, really resonate and can sort of like connect a lot with 
younger females, mainly sort of like between mm, 15 and 25. A lot of the females I'm working with at the moment have disordered eating or eating disorders, um, which I think is a really, really um, important and special part of my job. I also see people who struggle with irritable bowel syndrome and other kind of chronic conditions such as PCOS and endometriosis. But then I can also see, you know, your general sort of weight loss clients or chronic disease patients as well. But I really, really like working with women and men who struggle with disordered eating and eating disorders. Yeah, wow. Where did that yeah. come from? I, honestly, like, I think it's because when I was younger, I struggled a bit with like eating and body image and all that sort of stuff. And so I can kind of connect and resonate with a lot of those people. I also think that it's a space that unfortunately there's not a lot of empathy in sometimes and for me like I just love creating a safe space for people to talk and if I can do that with one of my clients who's struggling with eating disorders and eating disorder and if I can kind of act as a bit of a platform or a soundboard for them then I'm doing my job and it's yeah it's really special I don't like and this is probably going down the rabbit hole but yeah more about the eating disorder part because as soon as you said that I want to tap down the leg and go holy shit, like this is a topic now that I think really like as a male, I probably don't know enough about eating disorders and I've actually spoken to friends that females who've had them or or have them and I haven't known how to react because I don't know what they actually are. Would you be able to maybe explain to us, you know, not not I'm not saying share a story because obviously, you know, confidentiality with clientele, but can you just give a bit of an idea on it? what is an eating disorder and and how Mm. many young women, I guess, maybe have eating disorders? Look, there probably is a statistic out there. I don't know it Uh, (laughs) by heart. Um, That's okay. But um, I guess there's a lot of people and particularly women, that's just sort of like who they, I guess, eating disorders target is women. But men do struggle with eating disorders as well. And there's sort of a whole heap of eating disorders. A lot of people, when when I say eating disorder, they think of just skin and bones and, Mm. you know, not eating. But, there's so many different types of eating disorders. And to be honest, like the main type of eating disorder in Australia is binge eating disorder. So that basically means that you're overeating in sort of episodes or particular timeframes and then oftentimes restricting in other kind of times in the day or period in the week or, or month. So that's sort of the main type of eating disorder. Then you've got other things like binge purge where you binge and then you sort of throw up or take laxatives to, I guess, um, counteract that, that binging or overeating episode. And then you've got just purge and then you've got sort of things like a bit more uh, exercise sort of predominant ones where you sort of eat and then you exercise it all off. Then you've got other types, which is like a newer type, which is called orthorexia, which is essentially just this preoccupation with really clean foods. And we think that that's kind of come about because of social media and because of this ideal kind of living where we just focus on these pure clean organic non-processed foods and then people become so obsessed with it that they start restricting 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 their eating diversity and variety until it's a point where they just like aren't eating much and then they kind of don't socialize because they can't control what they're eating or they can't control the the types of fats in their food or the calories in their food so yeah eating disorders are so so complex and oftentimes it's not really starting or it's not I guess oftentimes it's not predominantly body image 
specific. It's more so, okay, there's a trauma that's happened in that person and they've used eating disorders or, or, or they've used food as a method to control the external world. Um, so oftentimes eating disorders do have a function which is unrelated to body image or weight. So I just said a D, sorry, but I just wanted to quickly jump and say, would that mean, I guess you could say emotional eating essentially? Yeah. So emotional eating isn't an eating disorder. An eating disorder is a mental illness. Uh, Emotional eating is quite common in today's society particularly, but it's not an eating disorder in that it doesn't dictate and um, I guess affect your quality of life to, to to a high extent. Emotional eating is just a reaction to, I guess, eating in reaction to negative or positive emotions. But emotional eating can turn into things like binge eating disorder if they aren't sort of um, uh, followed up or, yeah, I guess, like controlled. Yeah, if they're not careful. And yeah. With eating disorders, one thing, I'd, like, is there, is there a rise in this in the last sort of 10 years? And is there a social media influence that is affecting that? Because I know for me, when I go on Facebook or Instagram, I always get fitness influencers coming up and they're telling me what to eat and what I should be doing for this type of body and blah, blah, blah. But I can see how people could get trapped in seeing one food group and being like, okay, I need yeah. that. And it's just an ad on Facebook. There is, he doesn't know who I am or what I do, how active I am, my body. Would there be a contribution through social media? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, it's really unfortunate. Um, and like, that's kind of why I came onto social media in the first place, because there were so many people, um, ill-informed people, unfortunately, promoting certain diets and things, mm. which is so scary and destructive. And, you know, a lot of my clients who have eaten disorders have been out of point at, or I guess, um, have had a, a moment in their life where there's been trauma or something and then they latch on to a diet or something like that that's promoted by a famous person or an influencer. Um, and absolutely, like it could have worked for that famous person or influencer, but everybody is different. Um, and people who are vulnerable, so for example, people who've gone through trauma, people who are vulnerable, therefore kind of latch on to anything and sometimes they take that as complete fact and then that becomes really really destructive and can in turn result in disordered eating and then eating disorder thereafter is it frustrating because and again we're not throwing people under the bus but people that may work in the fitness industry and their knowledge is how to lift weights how to exercise how to get that out of your body but they might not be educated in food and nutrition or this sort of stuff is that frustrating yeah. someone that's gone and actually studied and done the work and works in the industry and lives and breathes with it, these people can come along and influence so many people potentially down the wrong path? Yeah, <laughs> it's really frustrating. And, you know, it's really, really hard because the, the line, particularly with exercise professionals, the line is very grey in, you know, what you can talk about in terms of food and nutrition. Often, like, you know, PTs and things, they can talk about food. They can recommend certain things, I guess, for somebody to eat or, or macros and things. But what kind of, when it becomes a bit of um, a trouble is when they start prescribing certain supplements or prescribing certain diets for clinical, you know, medical conditions, like, for example, if, if a woman they, they were coaching had PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome and then they said, you know, eat a low-carb diet, 
that's actually really unethical and that's illegal. But unfortunately, PTs and even, you know, other nutrition professionals and exercise professionals aren't educated in where their scope of practice stops and starts. And, you know, at the end of the day, like it's never in a malicious intent. They want to help, but it's also kind of destructive in that sometimes, I mean, oftentimes PTs and things aren't educated in certain clinical conditions or medical conditions like PCOS or endometriosis or even eating disorders. So they don't really understand, you know, what exactly to prescribe. Yeah. So it is really frustrating, but I'm kind of used to it (laughs) in a way. I want to ask you, you mentioned earlier about, um, I want to ask you about inflammation in the body. Uh, Yeah. Because so many of us, we're all tired. We're all sore. We're all constantly, we're not, for me personally, and I know lots of other people, and I know it's because of the lifestyle we lead and we live, what we eat and what we drink. And, but the gut health, I've been doing a lot of research around like how, whether it's anxiety, depression, certain illnesses and things that we go to the GP and they go, oh yeah, it's, it's just this, here's some antibiotics or here's some anti-inflammatories. And what I've been reading a lot is that a lot of it comes down to our gut health. Am I right or wrong in saying that? Look, and you are right. Like a lot of, I mean, there was a, like most diseases start in the gut, right? Like we kind of are getting that um, from the research. Like often, you know, there is some relationship between gut health and a lot of diseases, particularly inflammatory diseases. But it's tough because we've only just started researching um, gut health and microbiome and all that sort of stuff. So we can't really say, okay, well, the fact that you've got, you know, this sort of bacteria or you don't have this bacteria results in this disease because we don't know that. Um, We do know that there is definitely an influence on our gut microbiome and our mental health particularly. There's a lot of studies that have been done. There's one done at Deakin University several years ago called the SMILES trial and it essentially just showed that, you know, eating a plant-based or largely plant-based diet can be as effective as antidepressants in people who have chronic you know, depression. Um, so that is really, really, I guess, signifies that there is an influence of, you know, diet on our mental health, but there's a very, very blurred line and we can't necessarily confirm, yeah. you know, one way or the other. Um, and I think, you know, from what we do know to support your gut health, we really need to be eating, you know, a really good nourishing diet and reducing things like processed foods and really, really, you know, high fat foods, particularly in saturated fats and trans fats and optimizing, you know, our fiber intake and all that sort of stuff. So really at the end of the day, regardless of the research, the same outcome kind of is just eat a really, really balanced diet, reduce stress, reduce alcohol, reduce smoking, all that sort of stuff that we all know what to do. Well, you basically just answered my next question, but I was just going to say for the everyday person who, you know, who, who isn't under the influence of any disease, we, we, they work normal hours every day, they may, they may be exercise a bit, <clears throat> they've got a good social circle. What is a well-balanced diet? Like, I, well, I wouldn't say lifestyle, but yeah, what is a well-balanced diet? What, what should we be aiming for? Yeah, and it's a really good question and everybody is very, very different. But as a guideline or a bit of a general rule, we really want to be prioritizing, you know, your plant-based foods. So that basically means everything that 
grows in the soil or is not an animal-based product. So, you know, your, your vegetables, your fruits, your nuts, your seeds, your legumes, all that sort of stuff. Um, and the reason why that's really beneficial is it's really, really high in vitamins and minerals and really, really high in fiber. And fiber is one thing that can be really, really, really supportive for our gut health. Um, what it also means is it's low in certain fats, particularly saturated fat and trans fats, which we know isn't really supportive of good health, particularly, you know, for things like cardiovascular disease, which is essentially just, you know, thickening of the arteries. And um, oftentimes when people have thickening of the arteries, they're more likely to have things like strokes and heart attacks. So I would say that eating a plant-based diet, largely fueling, you know, um, I mean, eating a plant-based diet, reduce red meat, but also ensuring that you are having a really good source of omega-3s and good fats. And people can get those good fats from oily fish um, particularly and olive oil. So if you kind of think of it like you're eating a Mediterranean style of diet, we know that that's probably the best for the majority of the population. Sure. Look, it's already such great information. Yeah. I was just thinking, man, I, I, I know you're very passionate about mental health and anxiety and we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later, but just sort of while we're still on diet, I want to do a little bit of a crossover. So you mentioned on the phone that you're very supportive of people that might be going to an event or something where they can have a cheat meal. I don't they, that, yeah, they, there's a birthday party on a Saturday night. Yeah. They can go to that birthday party and because I've always said this to Alice, and it, food to me, food is is almost an event, essentially. You know, so if I'm if, if I've got a birthday party on a Saturday night mm. and it's been in the calendar for the month, yeah, I'm doing an eight week challenge. But why can't I have a couple of sausage rolls from the platter that's gone round? But I'm standing around with everyone going, no, nah, I can't. Is that yeah, what you're meaning? Yeah. yeah, but also like from that, like eating. I know people say you know you should eat. It shouldn't eat to make yourself feel better necessarily, but where's that crossover between mm. you're having a bad day or you're struggling mentally or whatever? Mm. Where's that crossover like? Yeah, comfort food or something like, and how much can we intake? That's a really, really good question. And I guess when it comes to eating, you know, eating is really important for fueling ourselves, but that's not the only reason why we eat, right? We eat for special occasions we eat when we're sad we eat when we're happy we eat for religious purposes we eat for traditions all that sort of stuff and i think i guess that's where some people kind of get a bit confused because like yeah like i'm going to go to a birthday party and eat the cake and just because the cake isn't necessarily you know full of vitamins and minerals doesn't mean that i can't have it we've got to remember that like at the end of the day having a piece of cake isn't going to derail anything um i guess when it comes to sort of eating for your emotions and eating for comfort what i really like to kind of question is okay it's absolutely fine to eat for comfort absolutely if you had a shitty day have some chocolate have some ice cream if you've just broken up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever like it's so fine to go out and have some ice cream with your your friends or whatever but the issue lies is when we're relying on food and we're relying on it only to comfort our emotions. So for example, every time we're upset, we're turning to food. Every time we're happy, we're turning to food. That's when it becomes really destructive because we don't have any other outlets that can help us feel better. Love that, love that. Before we jump into, I guess, I know you were probably meaning the mental health stuff today, but I wanna hear your thought around like, say, like what are your thoughts on fad diets? Like for example, mm. I'll share my, 
like I've been actually fasting for probably like the last six to twelve months. Mm. Yeah, like, just something on that even like or, or other mm. diets like here, you know, the keto diet and whatnot and, and others. But yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, I mean, so fasting is different. I won't. I, I'll talk about fasting in a moment. But in terms of, I guess, fad diets. The reason they're fad diet, like they're called fad diets for a reason, like they're a fad and they only work for a minority of cases. And at the end of the day as well, we need to kind of, I guess, look into the reason why you're on a diet in the first place. So let's think about the keto diet. So the keto diet is basically a really, really, really low carbohydrate diet. And the reason why the keto diet exists is because it was really effective in children who had epilepsy. And now it's kind of been turned into this diet where a lot of people are doing it for weight loss purposes. And the reason why it works for weight loss purposes is kind of, firstly, you're essentially reducing a lot of foods. And if you reduce a lot of food, particularly food groups, then oftentimes you're eating in a deficit or you're eating fewer calories than you burn. So of course you're going to lose weight. What it also means is that you're eating far less things like chips, processed foods, hamburgers, pizzas, and oftentimes that means you're eating less calories. Yeah. It also, what happens is on a keto diet, you're eating, because you're eating fewer carbohydrates, you're not storing as much water because carbohydrates in the body are stored as glycogen. And what that means is they're stored as kind of one molecule of carbohydrate and one molecule of water. And so when you've used up all your glycogen stores or when you're not eating carbs and your body burns the glycogen for carbohydrate or for energy, your body loses water as well because it's breaking down the glycogen. So you weigh out the water. What's water? Water is weight. And so oftentimes when people are on a ketogenic diet, they lose weight really, really quickly. That's, yes, it could be a bit of body fat and it could be muscle and things like that, but it's also a lot of water. And so that's why people find when they start eating carbohydrates again after being on a keto diet, they gain weight really quickly. It's not necessarily the fat they're gaining, it's just the water because the glycogen stores are kind of storing up again and, and building up again from that depletion. But in terms of, I guess, fasting, fasting is a sort of very controversial topic and it does actually help some people. So the reason why it may help... <laughs> I'm a bit worried now. <laughs> so the reason the reason why it helps some people is basically, I mean, depending on the the regimen or the regime of fasting that you're doing, you're essentially just cutting the window at which you're eating. And oftentimes, when you reduce the eating window, you reduce the number of calories you're eating per day. Therefore, you are in a deficit. Therefore, you're more more likely to lose weight. Um, with fasting as well, there's some sort of evidence that it helps people who have insulin resistance and also may help people who, for example, are overweight because you're losing well, more weight than if you were not fasting or eating in that, I guess, 16-hour period rather than an eight-hour period. There are sort of a lot of contraindications um, for people fasting. So, for example, if you've got an eating disorder, if you're pregnant or, or lactating, so like you're you know, yep. breastfeeding and things like that. They're kind of cases where I would definitely not suggest fasting. Yeah. One, one sort of case, I guess, that I feel may benefit with fasting as well is for people who struggle with kind of figuring out their hunger fullness cues. Often, you know, eating is sort of a habitual thing and it, people get up and have breakfast and lunch and dinner because it's just that time of the day not necessarily that they're hungry. And so doing fasting can really, really help sort of get started and, and get that ball rolling in terms of our hunger fullness cues. And you may have found this, um, Doss, in like, you know, you might actually start to figure out your hunger and your fullness cues after not having breakfast and realising, oh, this is what hungry feels like. Mm. And, you know, 
not having breakfast straight away. So yeah, I mean, fasting, it may work, but it's not something that I actively promote, but fad diets are sort of, you know, I guess fad for a reason. And yeah, most of the time they don't work, particularly long-term. And I guess sustainability is something that I really promote. So if it's not sustainable, then it's probably not worth it. The, The main message I'm getting from this is that everybody should go and see a dietitian. They should go see a professional and actually it's personal. It's yeah. going to be tailored to you. That's that's probably the best advice that I'm learning from this whole podcast. Yeah. I want to move into social media for a little bit because I know you've got yeah. so many questions to ask you, but let's start with just the main messaging that you're trying to get across and through some of the things we mentioned earlier in terms of seeing maybe some misinformed information, mm. that kind of stuff is, is that inspire you to to grow your social media following and some of the content you put out there we we both had a look and pretty impressed with the content you're putting out there oh thank you guys no absolutely so i mean when i was in uni that's when i started my instagram um and the reason why i started was because i was getting so frustrated with what was being shared out there and i was like okay if i can you know be a safe space for 200 people, I've done my job. Like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. People can rely on me for, for nutrition information and even, you know, ask me questions and things. Hey, Alice, like, send me something. Is this true? Whatever. Done my job. And then I started sort of getting a bit of a following and I was like, this is actually kind of fun. Like, I love sort of sharing information to people and, and reaching a larger audience. Um, and so I kind of came to Cronulla and um, it sort of built up a bit more of a following. Marika has a really big following. So when I started working for her, that really supported the momentum of my sort of channel or, or, or profile. And then, yeah, I kind of use a bit of strategy that one of my friends, Rachel, sort of taught me in that, you know, consistency and all that sort of stuff with uploading. But really, I guess, like, it really, really helps get it started with this whole, like, misinformation. And, and really what I want to do is sort of act as a safe space and support people and, and be a space where people can rely on and also sort of, in a, in a sense, muffle out some of those those influences or those voices that may be spreading misinformation. Obviously, and I will touch on this a bit later, is that I'm really, really passionate about mental health as well. So providing, you know, a space where we, I can talk about that, that's really something that I'm passionate about as well. And also just kind of being a bit fun too and not being so serious and, you know, making people laugh or making people smile or making people reflect. That's kind of, yeah, why I why I'm continuing on growing this platform and yeah hopefully it will I kind of funnel into a bit of um, work as well and I mean at the moment I'm getting a little bit of money from it but I hope yeah down the track it will, it will be sort of more of a um, full-time business fingers crossed <laughs> I love that I mean we it's funny with social media we we put a pressure on ourselves when we started with our content and how we're going to deliver it and then it took the fun away from it it made it turn into more pressure yeah but once we relaxed a little bit and, and it, we made it fun and we were enjoying it ourselves, like it just for us, it helped a lot. So I'm so glad you mentioned the word fun there. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about your work on social media. You just said you're mm. making a bit of money from it, but what is yeah. that? So you get product endorsements or people come to you and, and where do you lie with the ethics on that? Because I know there's a bit of a gray area there for a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another world, honestly, like social media is crazy. Like the amount of, I guess, exposure you can get and even like money and things 
people get on social media is out of this world. Like obviously not me because I don't really have a huge following, but yeah, it's, it's pretty scary. But with, with my sort of brand work and things, I work with several brands. Um, and what that means is, for example, like I had a campaign with Rebel Sports a while ago. And so they paid me a bit of money to, I guess, um, get the clothes or I went to the, went to Rebel Sports, got a certain number of, you know, $100 or to fight. It was like $500 or something to get whatever I wanted from Rebel Sports and then take some content and then get paid to like post it on my social media. Um, yeah. I'm currently working with another protein brand, INC Nutrition, which is available at Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> um, and yeah, so what I do is like sort of, it's a three month contract. So I, I have certain things I need to post within each month um, and then take the content, send it to them for approval. And then I post it on my social media through, you know, reels or IGTVs or grids um, or stories or whatever. Um, and that's kind of how it works. So it's super, super cool. And then also sort of the um, indirect or secondary sort of income is from, you know, uh, private clients contacting me and me, you know, taking them on as clients. So that's another thing that I sort of use social media for as well um, is sort of connecting with clients or future clients. But yeah, super, super fun. Love it. And it's really, really helped with so many facets of my professional, professional life. So you've touched on, like, firstly, well done because you've, awesome. you've monetized, you know, oh, you've taken social media on and, you know, so many people are doing this thing now as well. And I think a lot of people in the generations for us don't understand it. Um, yeah, no. i got to know if your parents still understand it. Probably my parents don't. Like, you know, people are getting paid off to post photos on Instagram. But you've talked about the good and, and there's so many goods when it comes to social media. But yeah. I'd love you to share your thoughts on some of the bads, mm. like, uh, and you mentioned body image earlier and we're mm. both massive on body image as well. And that's one reason why we wanted to get you on too, based, based around diet and nutrition. But what is your take on social media from a body image perspective? Um, mm. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. It's really tough because I think it's getting better. Like, don't get me wrong. It's definitely getting better in, in that influences a sort of understanding or even people understanding that, Instagram is a massive highlight reel and as much as, you know, for example, I want to show my whole entire life, like it's just not possible and I do capture majority of highlights and that's completely just natural. Often, you know, we as humans sort of observe things even unconsciously or subconsciously. So we might be scrolling through Instagram, see some like really skinny, lean girl and even though we don't think we're taking it on, we take it on. That I think is a really, I guess, a really destructive or negative part of social media is sort of the influence it has on people in a negative way. But then there are so many positives as well. Um, and so I guess you can't really win. Um, from my own, I guess, perspective, for me, in terms of the negatives for social media, is this boundary sort of thing. And I've had to put in a lot of boundaries myself because, you know, a year ago, social media was just a bit of fun and it was nothing to do with business but now it's more of a business thing um and i'm getting paid for it and that means you know i shouldn't be checking my instagram at 4 30 in the morning when i wake up because that means i'm working and that's not good for my mental health so i've had to really really set boundaries in place and even boundaries with responding to you know message requests and stuff i have a certain day and certain time that i respond to it and outside of that i just don't respond because i don't have the time and the mental capacity or the emotional capacity to respond to messages 24 7. Mm. Sure. I think it's really positive the message you're spreading because 
my love affair with Instagram or social media, it's on and it's off. Sometimes I absolutely, I went off it, how long was I off for? Ages, six months or something. Like I just yeah. couldn't bear it anymore. I was doing my head in. And one of the issues I used to have with like influencers is that a lot of them were probably good looking, wealthy people and they, they weren't really spreading any other message. They were just showing vlogs of their life and they were living an unrealistic lifestyle and okay, now they're in Italy and they're shopping and now they're in Los yeah. and they're doing this. And then I used to get frustrated with my sisters and I'm like, why are you watching this and why? But then that, but the thing that annoyed me the most was then they started deciding the morals and the ethics of everybody else. They're like, you should be doing this and you should be doing that, but yeah. they had no background or experience in it. So mm. this isn't a question. This is more of a statement. And for you, I think it's just, these are the types of people we should be listening to. Someone like you, Alice, who is spreading a positive message. You're obviously so knowledgeable that everyone who listens to this is going to hear. And yeah, I'm just saying, I just think it's a great thing you're doing and, it's, no. it, my perspective now is much better on influence. <laughs> that's lovely. And yeah, I mean, that's really lovely. I really appreciate that. I guess, you know, at the end of the day, like people are doing the best they can. And unfortunately, you know, because influencers aren't really educated in some aspects, um, they aren't able to really discern or decipher whether what they're doing is wrong or right. And because there's a lot of money in the mix as well, sometimes the lines are a bit blurred. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate that feedback. No, that's okay. Should we, if you're open to it, Alice, maybe we jump into um, the mental health aspect of things. Yeah, yeah. Would you maybe be open to sharing, I guess, well, you, you said it earlier, you would be, but you know, just your thoughts and, and your own experiences when it when it's come to whether it's mental illness, anxiety. Mm, you know, absolutely. Your take and and maybe experience on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm more than happy to share my kind of experience. But really, like as a kid, I was always an anxious kid. Like mum and dad would say it. Like I was just always like you know I couldn't even get in the car without knowing exactly where we're going. So I was I was always very highly strung, highly anxious kid. And then you know growing up, there was a several events that happened in my life, particularly in terms of my family, that sort of triggered a lot of anxiety or I guess escalation of anxiety. And then that kind of turned into secondary depression. And I used certain things like I used food as a way to control. Um, I used you know overachieving and perfectionism as a way to make myself look better or appear better from an outside perspective because you know I didn't feel worthy etc 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 you know it was a real struggle like as I was growing up from like high school up until probably university I was really like unwell um, mentally and I look at it now and I thought I was okay but yeah looking back like I was not really happy and I was always having panic attacks always just highly, highly anxious, really, really wasn't, I guess, present ever. Um, and I still had sort of disordered eating patterns and things like that as a way to control mm. kind of my mental health or I thought so anyway. Um, and yeah, like nowadays, like I've gone, you know, I've been to probably about a dozen therapists in my life and probably only had two that have really, really stuck with me. I'm currently seeing one in Sydney who absolutely is incredible and really really helps me I think 
at the moment, like I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I think that's partly because of therapy, but also, you know, I'm now on uh, medication for my anxiety, which has really, really helped. And I think there's this stigma that, you know, if you're on medication, you're weak. Um, but no, like for me, like mental illness is genetic and my dad, my, you know, my family, a lot of people in my family struggle with anxiety and or depression. And so it was kind of inevitable for me to struggle with it as well. And maybe in the future I'll go off the medication, but at the moment it's really, really supporting my well-being um, in conjunction obviously with therapy and just looking after and being proactive about everything. But yeah, like there wasn't really a single event that I could sort of talk about as such, but I guess for me, like what's really, really helped me is to just have conversations and connect with people, connect with like-minded people, connect with people who have also struggled and just be really, really open because I know, you know, as I was growing up, I was very, very, very sort of introverted in that. Like I didn't really talk about mental health. I didn't really talk about my struggles at all with anybody. If I could help anybody um, struggling with what I'd struggled with, then I've done my job and I wish there was somebody who I could actively talk to or feel comfortable talking to as I was growing up with, with anxiety and depression. So, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting that you mentioned, because we talk obviously a lot about this topic with a lot of different people. And since doing this podcast, I mentioned to you on the phone the other day that it's opened up a lot of conversations for us, which is really good. But a lot of people correlate and they say, when I'm struggling with anxiety or depression, I turn to drugs or alcohol or those kind of sort of negative things. It's interesting that you mentioned food, but overachieving. Like mm. That's something I haven't really heard from somebody. So that's just an interesting yeah. But I want to talk a little bit about, I love how you said about being open and talking. You've mentioned Therapy Thursdays to me on the phone. I'm not going to say anything more. I want you to explain what Therapy Thursdays is. I yeah. I love this. So, so what Therapy Thursdays is, is this four of us girls, so our housemate um, or our house, they, we just have dinner together on Thursday nights and just talk about anything that's going on in our lives. So whether that be, you know, bringing up a story of our childhood or upbringing or whether it's something to do with work or whether it's something to do with boys or, or whatever it may be and just having open vulnerable conversations about whatever is we're struggling with at that moment and even things that we're happy about or proud of I think it's important to sort of talk about those things as well because often as humans we dwell on the negatives but it's also important to to talk about things that we're proud of or, or things that we've achieved so this therapy Thursday is something that's come about as we've sort of um as I've moved into this this um, place with these wonderful, wonderful women. And yeah, it's just, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> it's so good. And I think everyone should have therapy Thursdays. Maybe I'll trademark it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I'm really intrigued about, like even you just saying earlier about you taking medication and your response was awesome because mm. I'm someone who's on medication as well and for, for anxiety and for a long time I kept putting it off and yeah, more or less... Basically, what you said was that it's, it's almost like a week out. Uh, and being someone who's in health and nutrition and a natural way of doing things, mm. like yeah. that's not, to, to me, like that, that's huge because yeah. you're in this industry where, I don't know, but it's probably looked or, or frowned upon. I don't know. Like, yeah. no, well, yeah. you're anxious. You said it earlier. We'll eat more plant based foods, but you've obviously got to an, a level where you, you couldn't. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, Absolutely. Has, it been, has it been hard dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, I put on, on I put off medication for eight years. Like, I was yeah. so anti it. I was like, no, nah, I don't need it. Like, 
I'm not that sick or I'm not that, un, you know, anxious or, or depressed or I can you heal it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like you can't, I think of mental health like another chronic physical condition like diabetes you could eat as well as you can and you could eat you know good carbohydrate distribution and good amounts of carbohydrate load but you still need insulin like it's the same with depression or anxiety sometimes you can't do everything and sometimes you need that assistance through you know pharmaceutical things like medications or antidepressants or whatever it may be it's completely fine it doesn't mean you have to have it for the rest of your life like for me i i really kind of got to this point in my life where i was like all right, like I really need help and what I'm doing right now is not working. So I'm going to do this medication for a year. I'm going to do it for a year and see how I feel. And, you know, I've been on it for three years and I, it was the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> it's just made so many things. I mean, obviously it's not cured my anxiety or depression like by any stretch of the imagination. I have to have every single day I'm constantly working on my mental health, but it has just alleviated that extra kind of thing that I've had to work through and it's just yeah it's really really helped helped me a lot and I think if anyone's sort of considering it on the fence about about it have open conversations with people talk about their experience with with certain medications and see how they felt because you know it's not a forever thing and if you think it's going to help you for a while then absolutely like give it a go that that's such great advice I, I really believe some people need to hear that it's funny because a lot of our guests that come on and we decide what we're going to talk about and people that want to talk about mental health, they say, oh, but you've already covered that. I think we can't talk about it enough because like you mentioned before, there's still a stigma, but there's a huge stigma around it. We all know that. Mm. People relate to different speakers or guests or whatever differently. And so that's why I want to jump into this correlation with food because that's something we haven't touched on before with mental health. Like I said, we might've touched on alcohol and drugs and that kind of stuff, but with food in, in your line of work, do you see a strong correlation between a poor mental health and a poor either diet, body image, nutrition, any mm. of that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, from my own kind of anecdotal experience and like with clients, absolutely. But even from a research perspective, we know that mental health and diet have a very, very strong link. For example, there's a sort of like a, an immediate relationship and then there's a sort of long-term chronic sort of relationship. So immediately, if you think about it, if you're eating well, you feel a bit better, you exercise more, you get out more, you connect with people, you socialize and you feel better as a result. So that's sort of like the immediacy effect of, of nutrition and, and good nutrition. In, in contrast, you know, if you're eating poorly, you're generally more sluggish, you're unlikely to exercise, you're less likely to exercise, you're less likely to get out, you're less likely to socialize, poor mental health. So it's, I mean, that's a very simplified version, but you know, you get this sort of gist. And then you've got sort of the, the longer term effects. And these effects are very much related to our microbiome and sort of uh, inflammation within our body and inflammation within the brain and, and neural pathways and all that sort of stuff. But Essentially, yes, there is a correlation between poor diet and poor mental health or good diet and good mental health. Obviously, mental health so multifactorial and there's so many factors that affect our mental health, but diet is absolutely one of the significant factors that do affect our mental health. Alice, I think as we start to get close to the end of this podcast, what I'd love to ask you, we sort of touched on it briefly at the start, your lifestyle. What's the advice? Because our podcast is really directed well, initially was directed a lot of people around our age group, sort of mid-20s kind of people. Kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> people in their mid-20s, I should say. <laughs> and, and 
Doss and I, we are chasing a similar lifestyle to you in the next few years. We want to have that sort of, we have that entrepreneurial kind of spirit. We want to be working our own hours and living for things that make us happy, our friends, our family and everything we want to achieve. So what's your tip for people that are in that procrastination stage, contemplation mm. that we might be in, that we're sort of looking to step up? I said to Doss on the phone the other day that you're probably that step ahead of us that we want to get to. And I'd just love to hear some advice for that. I have a quote that I live by every single day and it's fear the fear and do it anyway. We all have reservations. We all have fears. We all have things that we find really scary, but just do it. Like what have you got to lose, honestly? And that's something, you know, moving to Cronulla, like I didn't know one person when I moved here, not one. And I moved in the middle of a pandemic straight after uni, like, that was scary for me. I, my boyfriend, my ex moved to, now my ex moved to WA. Like I didn't know anyone, but I just kind of said to me, you know, fear the fear and do it anyway. Like he may as well, like you've got nothing to worry about. And so I would say, you know, that was probably something that I would say is just do it. Like there's nothing to lose. Also, sometimes it depends on sort of what you're procrastinating from, but sometimes just doing the hardest things first is the best thing you could do. So even like, for example, tasks, like if you've got, you know, a whole day of work doing like the emails first or whatever, that's something that I find really helpful. But in terms of, I guess the, the big, big scheme of things, just do it and back yourself and yeah, just surround yourself with a motivating people is another one <laughs> because here in Cronulla, there's so many wonderful motivating people and they have absolutely motivated me to take things with two hands and just run with it. Mm, I love that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, yeah. Well, what, what is next, Alice? Like um, yourself having your own business or is it, um, yeah. what is the impact that you want to have? Where in the world do you want to live as well? <laughs> could be anywhere at this stage. Oh, you know what? Like, I guess, where do I want to live? I have no idea. Near the beach. That's all I ask for. I want to be near the beach. I want to have a dog. I want to have a family. Like, one of my biggest goals in life is to have a family. And so if I have that, then I will be so, so successful in my eyes. In terms of, I guess, business side of things, like, I, I always wanted to run my own business. That's just who I am. I love the autonomy of it. I love having, I guess, a somewhat control over what I'm doing every single day. And so I don't really know where I'm kind of headed. I have a few ideas, but yeah, I just hope that, you know, with this social media thing, it does sort of catch on and it does grow a little bit more and I can start taking on maybe clients through my own business, working with brands. I've always wanted to be on Sunrise or the Today Show. So, I mean, that's a bit of a goal of mine. I don't know if I should have said that out loud, but if anyone's watching who works for the Today Show or Sunrise, email me. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, for me, living a successful life is living in line with my values. And one of my values is health. One of it's happiness. One of it's, you know, balance and, and family and friends. So if I have all that, then I'm so, so happy. Awesome. Wow. That's yeah, really good way to end it. I think, yeah. but before yeah. we let you go, Alice, give, give yourself a little shout out for people who oh. are on social media, what's the best way to contact you or see what you're up to. 
Yeah, so probably Instagram at the moment. My Instagram is just Alice Bleithman underscore dietitian. That's kind of where I share most of the stuff. I've just recently started YouTube randomly enough, which is a bit of fun. And so that's just my name, Alice Bleithman. And then, yeah, if you want to get in contact or email me for anything, it's just like alicebleithman at gmail.com. So, yeah. Awesome. We'll be in the show notes anyway. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Thank you so much, Alice. We just want to acknowledge you for what you're doing and spreading the message of health, wellness, and, and just happiness. Like that, that ending, I just I love that. Like, sure. I think aligning with your own personal values, it's so important. And, and we're, all, we're all in this rat race and we're all constantly just, we're probably living in reactive mode and we don't really live by. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to acknowledge you for, for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I I agree with what you just said. Like we are living in a reactive mode sometimes. We're not really in the present, and and it's it's difficult and sometimes confronting not being reactive and being proactive. But like it is so important to just live your life, and life is for living. Like it's not for always hustling. It's not for being stressed. It's not for being the busiest. It's not for being the most tired. Like we're so lucky. We're so blessed, and you know, I don't know. I could go on for days about this. We can't thank you enough, Alice. I mean, short notice. We we spoke on the phone only two days ago and only connected three days. Ago. <laughs> uh, so big shout to Katie and Joe Richardson. They uh, oh, absolute little, legends. Uh, they were our uh, our show managers behind the scenes. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, PAs. Thank you so much, but um, yeah, thanks again, Alice. My pleasure. My pleasure.